Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Can you fix up your papers so we can start this episode? Sorry. <laughs> I'm preparing. This is called preparation, Chanel. I'm ready just here this waiting to start this episode while Dee Dee shuffles her papers. Uh, this is called preparing um, in a most – what's the word I'm looking anyway, for? Anyway, I'm prepared, so I'll ask okay. you a question and I'll start talking. Okay. Are you prepared to die? I am. Are you? Uh, I don't want to. No. But I – I think when it happens, I'll just accept it. Okay. Well, you'll have to because you'll be dead. Oh, I hate it when you, like, stare at me when you're saying that. Yes. Well, do, have you thought about what you might like to be buried with or your outfit? No. Oh. Should I? Well, I think so. Oh. So I, I always wear black. Yeah. Everyone that knows me will know I, I always wear black. People yeah. People call me the black widow. <laughs> they do. Funny that. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Why would I'm, they do? I always huh. wear black. Mm-hmm. And when I wear colour, it's a really big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wore a pink dress while I was on holiday and I felt vulnerable about it. <laughs> mm. But people think about what they want to be buried with. Like we buried my grandfather with a bit of string because he was always fixing things with string. Everything that needed to be fixed, he'd just tie it up. Oh. And I think a notepad. We buried my uncle with cigarettes because he loved a dart. I think that's nice, a little meaningful mm. thing. I don't think it's a good idea to put anything valuable in the coffin because oh, no people are just going to come and rob it, aren't they? No one's robbing graves now, are they? Well, in Tutankhamun's time they did, didn't they? No, I don't imagine they are. <laughs> You're a different kind of mummy. Right. No one's <laughs> robbing you. Now, there's a couple that I want to mention mm-hmm. that are, I think it's very interesting do you know that Princess Diana was buried with rosary beads that she got from Mother Teresa? Really? Yeah. Oh. This one I like. Now, this is Sandra Elaine West. She was a socialite. Mm. She was buried sitting in the driver's seat of her 1964 Ferrari. In the car. See, yeah. this is, this is what I hate. I don't know if it was the car or it was the driver's seat, but Either it must way, be the car. Wasteful. I don't like that. I think that's... Wasteful. She was wearing her favourite lace nightgown. Yeah, that's okay. Well, see, when you said, have I thought about clothes, I would say to them, just pop into Target and get something would cheap. You? Yeah, I really don't mind. There's nothing that you own at the moment that you go, no. I'd take that with me. No, because I think it would be nice for someone else. I mean, I know my daughter wants to get into all my clothes in my wardrobe, so she, mm. she can have all my clothes. No, I reckon just pop. Uh, look, I'll go naked. What? That's fine. Why would you? Why so take... no open casket for you then. <laughs> but people sometimes do that, don't they? They get buried buried in cars. Why do it? I don't know. I wouldn't get buried in a car. Mm. But I have had a situation where a loved one died, and we had to get their suit dry cleaned because it was there were stains on it from the last time they'd worn it. Mm. And I went to the dry cleaner. We needed it asap. And I said, "Oh, I just need to get this suit done." I said, "Oh, yeah, no worries. I'm looking at next week." And I said, the person that's going to wear it is actually dead, so I need it sooner than that. Oh. oh. Got it within the hour. Why does it matter that it's clean, though, if it's only going I don't to know. You don't want to be buried with stains on your clothes, though. Yeah, but who's going to know? Me, when I bury you. But you're only going to put dirt on top. 
Oh, no. You don't want stains. It makes the family look like they're shit and they buried <laughs> you in a, in a dirty suit. Yeah, okay. You know? Oh. I just, you could save yourself the money on the dry cleaning, probably. John Jacobs, he was an attorney. He was buried with his mobile phone. Yes, that's a good idea. And his wife still paid the bill and the number is etched on his gravestone for anyone interested in leaving him a voicemail. I like that. Because obviously the yep. phone died. It's, it's not charged. Yeah, but if you get buried alive, you can ring someone. I like that. No, the phone... In fact, I'm going to have mine hardwired to a charger <gasps> Dee Dee, just in case. You can't. Well, you wouldn't let me have the bell that I can <laughs> ring. And that is the thing, by the way. I've spoken to someone since we had that argument. That is a thing where, with a bell that you can ring in case you got buried alive. I'm going to get buried with my mobile phone. So his number's on his grave. You could call it, leave him a voicemail. That's weird, right? Mm, that is weird. This is my favourite one, though. Okay. Arch West. He was the marketing marketing execu- executive. Why can't I speak? I'll do that I, again. Neither of us can Arch have noticed that. West. <laughs> He's a marketing executive. I get paid to say words mm-hmm. for my job. Now, he was responsible for the development. I'm not sure it was the, or the inventing or just the development of Doritos. Wow. I love Doritos, nacho cheese. So do I. Oh, see, I like plain. I'm a plain girl. Don't you like the plain ones? I eat a sarkatar or whatever. Eat a No, I don't like them. I hate rice crackers. It goes back to when my dad used to have to go and work in Japan. If you eat Doritos, you go nacho cheese. I don't mind the nacho cheese, but I prefer the plain. Okay. Well, his family sprinkled Doritos in his open grave before his burial. Oh. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Oh. Kirsten doesn't like Kirsten's it. Kirsten's not into it. Because she wanted the Doritos. Yeah, there yeah. we are. Yeah, figured I that out pretty quick. I don't know what I would be buried with, though. Uh, what I would thing. want to take with me. Well, don't take anything valuable. A lot of people, while I was doing research for that story, a lot of people also want their pets put down and buried with them. No, that's horrible. Don't do that. It is horrible, that. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, I don't I think that's I thought that was horrible. Nice. No, if anything, it would be like a childhood teddy or a blankie, that would be very sad, wouldn't it, if a child had died that you had to put their teddy or their blankie Yeah, you put it. I don't know if there's anything I'd want to take from this world with me. No. Well, that goes back to what I said. I think it's wasteful mm. to um, to take anything with you. Um, a story the other day caught my eye. Uh, at least 166 skulls were found in a mass grave in Mexico where drug cartels are known to dump their victims' bodies. So they think they'd been there for around about two years. They were found in the eastern state of – now, this is where I have the option. No. <laughs> don't, do don't do it. Veracruz. Even, Veracruz. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Even Kirsten did a face. Not very good. It'll get – you know it gets better as it I go doesn't. on. But the exact location uh, isn't being disclosed for security reasons. So uh, Mexican drug cartels, obviously, they frequently use pits to dispose of their victims. In March last year, 250 skulls were found in a mass grave in the same area. They also found 200 items of clothing, 114 identity cards and other body parts in the same pit. Given all of this, I have found for you the worst of the worst of them. There's Because there's been so many murders as part of the Mexican drug wars. I think that it's in the thousands. Let me hang on. I when I was in Bali, I was having breakfast at a cafe and I started talking to the man next to me because I realised he was reading a copy of a newspaper that I was from Melbourne. Yeah. And we just started talking and he said he was a UN mass grave inspector. 
Oh. That was his job. Why didn't you get his number to talk to us? Because it was like five years ago and I hadn't didn't have my crystal ball out to think about this moment where I would need to get his number. Shame. Uh, they're saying drug violence has claimed more than 5,700 lives. I think that's probably on the slim side. Anyway, the worst of the worst or among the worst of the killers was a man who was known as the stew maker. Oh. 2009, the Attorney General's office in Mexico announced that they had arrested a guy called Santiago Meza Lopez. He was known as Meza, hang on, he was known as El Pozzolero which translates as the stew maker. Pozzolero must be stew. And they called him that because it was believed he has dissolved some 300 people in caustic soda. And he's admitted to doing it. Uh, So in the northern part of the country, in the border of um, uh, Tijuana, they are still digging up human remains in the area where he worked. They appear every time it rains, every time the wind moves the soil, every time a group of family members of the disappeared shows up with a pickaxe and a shovel to look for the remains of their children or fathers or grandsons. The association uh, United for the Disappeared. Would you like that in Spanish? No. Unidos por los desparecidos. It's Franco Cozzo every time. Only confirmed from Franco Cozzo. Bye from Franco Cozzo. Cidos. And that is not a song, Despacito. Uh, they have so far extracted. This has gone beyond being like if it was one body that this has been done to, you'd be horrified because yeah. there's so many. It goes into this weird territory where your brain can't process it. They have dug up 16,500 litres of organic matter so far and they're still what? working. What does that equate to in people? Uh, they're saying around about 300. The most important excavation to date occurred in an area that they called the Chicken Coop. So it's a house just outside Tijuana. On that site alone, 250 kilos of bone and bone fragments have been excavated. Because caustic soda, that's what it is. It doesn't actually dissolve your bones, does it? I'll describe to you in a moment what it does. Apart from cleaning your uh, veins, your drains, (laughs) neither of us speaks properly. The story of the chicken coop goes back to 1996. So Meza Lopez, he worked for the Aralano Phoenix Cartel, taking care of horses and doing some masonry work for them. So the heads of the organisation, they asked him to come and see an experiment. They poured litres of water and other substances into a drum and they asked Meza Lopez to drop in a leg of beef. They told him to let it sit there for two hours and the meat dissolved. So he says that six months later they called him again And they told him that they were going to do the same experiment, but with human flesh. So the first body that he admits to was dissolved in 1996 in a drum with 200 litres of water. I'm not going to give you the whole recipe. Uh, They undressed the victim, put him in, turned on the gas burner and left it there all night. So Lopez reckons that... Oh, gas burner, um, so it needs to Yeah, so they heated it. He said the human remains cooked for eight hours and afterwards there was nothing left but teeth and nails. (gasps) Oh! Which I was surprised, actually. So there are no bones? That... No. So why did the bones... Why did the nails survive? No, the bones must have survived. Maybe mm. that's all. Uh, There's no what way bones. Said. After the liquid cooled, Metzer allegedly put the remains in a plastic tub. He took it to an empty lot and burned it with gasoline. Other times the boiled liquid was poured into barrels and thrown into the canyon. 
At the chicken coop, he installed drainage where the dissolved human remains were dumped. And he said they had to drop wash the drains out with hot water because they would become covered in mud, stuck to the pipes. I know you can't put caustic soda into plastic because it will burn the bottom of the – if you're trying oh, to dissolve a body. Yeah, right. I think it needs to be metal. Mm. I don't know why I know that. He's – that disturbs me. He said over a year and a half, the, co- uh, the cartel brought more than 70 bodies to that particular site and asked him to dissolve them in the caustic soda. He was paid $600 a week to do it. They're going to show him photos of missing persons in the area to see Only if he recognises any. 600 bucks a week? It's not very much, is it? No. Yeah, but these are these are people who probably their weekly wage is, you know, they're probably yeah, only okay. getting 20 bucks a day or something for, for hard work. True. Um, he says that usually when he received the bodies, they were already dead. So it's a very interesting position that he's in because he's not the one who killed them. No, he's just getting rid of them. He's disposing of them. Someone else is killing them. So I'm not sure what they charge him with. He said usually. But there would be a charge, something like violating a corpse or something, wouldn't there? Or being involved or being complicit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Accessory to a murder. Mm. He said he, uh, by the time they arrested him in 2009, he'd been disposing of corpses for nine years. So it's now, what was that, 2009, it's all those years since he was arrested. And despite the fact that he's admitted to it, they still haven't properly sentenced him. They did sentence him in 2015, but his defence attorney lodged various stays. And so he's sort of officially in legal limbo. He's being held at the Almaloya de Juarez prison in the state of Mexico. He's finished a primary school education and he's learned how to write. And I feel slightly ill now. I did have more facts and figures about drug deaths, Mexican drug deaths, but I don't know if I can take any I wonder if he could just say that he couldn't stop doing it because then the cartel would just kill him. Yeah, I think so. That would be a defence, wouldn't it? Yeah. But he obviously offered, offered up those services at some point to say he could do it. Yeah, but he would have been, it's like he said, he would have been being forced to do it. To do it. So he probably had no choice. Mm, imagine the mm. smell. Oh, goodness gracious. I went too far. Can I clarify something which we discussed in last episode? Sure. We had that email from Laura where she talked about finding a body in the cinema. Mm. Uh, it was a person who had died while watching Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 goes for two hours and 16 minutes. So there was a possibility he was still alive at the end. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, the movie is rated 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb. Pretty good. So he probably died reasonably pleased. I don't want to die seeing Guardians of the Galaxy 2 or 3, if that's a thing. I've never seen it. Would you like some more feedback emails? Yeah, sure. Because these are directed at you, Chanel. Oh. From our old mates. Sabrina and Basma. They're back. They are Sabrina back. Sabrina and Basma. <laughs> Hello again. Number five. See, there's no niceties. This is not me. No, I like that they're this just getting me. down yep. and dirty with it. Then, then yeah. can you rate their things? Yeah. Uh, number five, a well, because nobody would use or check it. And we think Chanel said something about dropping things down somewhere. Best wishes, Sabrina and Basma. Meh. Wrong. Where is a well? Well, someone, well, where is a well? I have is a, a well. very good. What? I have a well at home. Dorothy from last episode did it. <laughs> I do have a well. It's because the first part of the house was built in 1853. Yes, very deep. Oh. It's actually like a giant underwater tank, sort of bulb shape, but it would be about six metres deep. Do you have a wire on top of it so nothing can go down there? No. 
Oh. No, there's a big old heavy bluestone lid with a huge iron ring on it, all rusty. Oh, okay, right. That you have to lift up. I can't lift it, but you can get. To, I've been down in it. I've been down inside. We emptied it out once, and I went into it, looking for bodies. Some of the shit that you come out with. <laughs> I was actually... You just neglect to tell us, like you're so innocent about uh, dead bodies, and then you just like, I've got a well. I emptied it once, and I climbed down it. <laughs> yes, I do. I'll see if I can – I've got photographs somewhere. I'll put them okay. up on our Facebook page. Uh, number six, a pig farm. I think I've just cut out a bit of the hellos. A pig and farm. Up. This is another one. Yeah, a pig farm. When pigs get hungry, they're reported to be able to eat whole human bodies in a matter of minutes, bones included. So what? if you were to dump a body in there, it probably wouldn't last long. Enjoy your weekend, Basper and Sabrina. It's not right, but it's not bad. Next one. Hey, guys. Seven, a construction site. We think that if the body was dumped and then concreted over, nobody would think to check there or would ever find it. Have a great rest of the week, Sabrina and Basma. It's not right. But I think that's also very good. I think if you were working on a building site and you knew that a slab was about to be poured, mm. it would be smart. No, they can do like ground radar things now and check if there's Yeah, but by the time underneath. they realised and got all that happening, the house would be built. If you were just a builder, mm. I'm building a house for you. I don't know you from a bar of soap. I know a slab's being poured tomorrow. I go home, murder Nick, take him there, yep. dig up with a hole, bury him, put it all nice, and I know 6 a.m. the next day yep. that concrete truck's backing up. Yep. It's smart, but it's not right. Okay. Uh, hello again, number eight, down a sewage drain. If you lift up the manhole cover, drop the body through and close it up again in the dead of night, nobody would have known and the smell would be masked. Happy hump day, Sabrina and Basma. Next one. Oh, what's that? That's wrong. Ten? But they're, they're taking my advice about the smell. I see where they're getting. But mm-hmm. I think that's harder than it seems. There's two more to go. Next one. Uh, hi there. Number nine. An abandoned building. Keyword Abandoned. Who's going to go there anyway and stumble upon the body? And nobody would have any real reason to go looking for a body there. Have a great weekend, Sabrina and Basma. And then yesterday morning. Uh, that was oh, wrong, by the way. Okay. They just found a guy recently in Oakley in an abandoned oh, factory. Oh, yeah, all those years later. Yeah, and they've arrested someone. With boots sticking out. Yeah, see? So okay. you get um, done. Because we mentioned Sabrina and Basma a couple of episodes ago, they say, uh, good morning. Thanks so much for mentioning our ideas in in that episode. The whole episode was really good. We learned about Emmett Till in year nine, but you really put a detailed spin on it, which we thought was cool. Charnel's talk about Wills was really funny as well. Now, serious business. Number 10, into a concrete mixer. The body would get crushed up. And then once the concrete's poured, it'll set and nobody will ever know it was even there. Our guesses are getting worse, but we'll keep trying. Cheers, <laughs> Sabrina and Basma. No, it's not right. It's kind of like the slab, but they've got that mixed into the concrete. Yeah, I don't know what a concrete mixer looks like on the inside, but I don't think it would be. Maybe they mean in the big truck, you know, the concrete mixing truck. That, But then when, as it came down the chute. Yeah, people would know. I was driving along once behind a concrete truck and the guy driving must have pulled the wrong <gasps> lever. Yeah, I kid you not. And a whole bunch of wet concrete, stones, everything all over my car. And he drove off. And I got the number plate, I got the name of the business, which was just up the road from where I lived. And I went in and I said, would you come out and have a look at my car? And it was covered in concrete. Did he know? I don't think he did. I don't think he did. Yeah. Now, what happened? They said, oh, we can wash that for you. They washed it. But, of course, where all the stones in concrete, concrete has a little gravel in it, had dinted. There were like dints all over the car. Yeah. 
And they sort of tried to deny it for a little bit. And I went round the road to where it actually happened and photographed the lump of wet concrete that was drying on the side of the road as well. So in the end, it had to go through insurance to get fixed properly. Isn't Mm. that so – my car recently, I – this has nothing to do with dead bodies. I'm going to tell a story anyway – was parked in the garage. Nicholas came inside and said, someone sideswiped your car. <gasps> I was dead. There we go, dead bodies. I was dead instantly. I was like, what do you mean? Because I've just recently gotten the car. Yeah. Went outside, big scrape down the side. <sighs> so I rang work and I said, can you check the vision to see if anyone hit my car while I was at work? They checked the vision. No one hit my car. So I knew it was from when I was parked earlier. So next day I go back to where I was parked because they allocated parking spots and looked at the guy that was parked next to me, no damage. And I thought, no, that car's always reversed in and today it's driven into the spot. Uh So I checked the other side and my paint was all the way down the side of their car and I matched it up using my leg to see if it was the same height as the damage on my car and it was. Yes. And can I just say, I will not name him, but he is a prominent lawyer. (gasps) Oh. Yep. And I emailed him and I said, well, this is awkward. I believe you've sideswiped my car. And? He paid for it. Good. Yeah. So he should. Yeah, it's getting fixed now. Wow. I love your detective work. I was really on that. Go, Vella. Okay. We have another email Mm -hmm. from Charmaine. She says nice things. Does she? Yeah. And then she says she was an emergency nurse and a medivac. Flight rescue nurse for 20 years, which I think is a really hard job. Would be. Yeah. Mm. Getting people into a state where they can fly after – and most of the time, if, if you're being medivaced out of somewhere, yeah. you're pretty bad. Yeah. Getting someone in a situation where they're ready to fly would be – you'd see some horrific things. And she does say, I've seen many, many dead bodies of all ages – Um, And of all causes, I've been with people before, during and after death. I've laid out many bodies. The hardest time was trying to make a lady whose head was run over by a truck look somehow human so the family could identify the body. Oh, dear. Mm. I recently saw some vision, I won't talk too specific, some vision of someone who had been in a car accident Mm. and they had been run over. Horrific. God. Horrific. As bad as you think it is in your head, it's that bad. Yeah. It is that bad. Um, She also says, I also find decapitation particularly difficult to cope with. Mm. And just in that sentence alone makes you think she's seen it quite a lot. Yeah. Of course, I don't work at present as she's on the disability pension for PTSD. I'm not surprised. Mm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I actually had a loved one who was medivaced out somewhere Mm. and I wrote them an email, those workers, just to say, thanks so much. It must be so awful what you have to do. because they really do that. Yeah. And they would all have PTSD. Mm. Journos get PTSD. Mm. I think in some form I probably have it from the things that you've seen and... Do you do like a some sort of you know for your own mental health? Do you do like a decompression? I think treatment. Journos debrief with other journos because mm. they're the only ones that really get it. Yeah, it's really difficult. Um, but I learnt actually. I was about to say I learnt early on. I did not learn early on. I think it took me about four years of solid 
death knocks, which is where you literally knock on the door of the family who's had someone die Mm. and being exposed to bodies before I realised I needed to do counselling when it got bad. Mm. And it wasn't a regular thing. It was just when it all got too much, I would go see a counsellor. That's good. I'm glad yeah. you're proactive about. Most of the time, about... ended up speaking about my mother. Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, we got time for one more. Sure. Okay. This one subject line. Uh, this email I have asked to remain anonymous, but the subject line is Flinders Street Station penis. Oh, that I love that story. Hmm. Hello. Um, nice thing. Nice you, things. Yeah. Hmm. Just imagine. A few paragraphs of pleasantries. Uh, I've only recently discovered it. I've just finished listening to episode three, which included the story of David William Phillip, who cut off Mr. Lee's penis and put it in the women's toilets at Flinders Street Station. I'm writing to you about this as I used to work with Mr. Phillip at Thomas Embling Hospital. For those who are not from Melbourne, that is a facility where the criminally insane are kept. It's a secure hospital. I added that in there, uh, where he has lived since it opened in 2000. Mr. Phillip is held under the old Crimes Act and, as you said in the podcast, is held there at the governor's pleasure. This means that unlike other people who have been placed in Thomas Emling Hospital under the Crimes, uh, Mental Impairment and Unfitness to be Tried Act 1997, he is not subject to regular legal review. I thought you might be interested to know what it is like meeting someone who has done such horrific things. Yes, I would. I don't want to give too much away about my job, but I do remember that I read his file before going to meet with him for the first time, and I was horrified at what he had done. I had spent time with people who had done murders before, but this story was out there. Uh, and there was something about Mr. Lee being Korean and Mr. Philip cooking his flesh in a wok that really spun me out. I felt a bit nervous going into the hospital to meet him, and then he was just there, just some old guy who was a bit down about his situation. He wasn't some scary monster. He was just an old man. Just a bit down about his situation. Now, there's an asterisk, he was just an old man, and I'll take you to the footnote that goes with that asterisk. It says, being 60-ish is not what I would term old, but some antipsychotic medication ages people a lot. It can drastically reduce life expectancy. Hmm. Um, He had been locked up for 28 years when I first met him, and he said that he should have pleaded guilty to murder rather than going for insanity, as he would have been back out in society 10 years ago. He probably would have. How is he insane then if he's figured that out? Because he's not insane. Um, I did a lot of work at Thomas Embling Hospital with a lot of high-profile people. David will always stick in my mind, though, as his story is the one that I remember the most vividly. He's also one of only two people in Victoria still held at the governor's pleasure, which means it's that he will likely never be released. I felt like I wanted to share this with you too, even though as I read back over it, I'm not really adding a whole lot to what you've already said. No, you are. Yes, you are, Anonymous. I suppose the point is that Mr. Philip is a man who has done something that is inconceivable to the rest of us out in the world, yet if you walked past him on the street, you wouldn't even look twice. Mm. And I think that's really relevant with so many people. Like I think Jill Maher's murderer, Adrian Mm. Bailey, I think if I saw him out on the street and I didn't know what he'd done, that he'd look like a normal guy. So did you actually see him? Yeah, I covered that and and sat in court with him 
for days How and weeks. How close to him were you? Um, if I was, he was sitting in the dock behind me. So if I reached back from my seat, I would have been able to touch the dock. I wouldn't be able to touch him, but he's sitting on the other side of that, you know, wooden partition. Mm. I would have been able to touch it. So he's right there. For those who are not familiar with the case, just in a nutshell, tell us what he did. Uh, Jilma was murdered in Melbourne. She was walking home after a, after a work function and she never made it home. Mm. Uh, her husband then raised the alarm and it went really big really quickly. Um, she was an Irish girl and uh, they found her. I'm not, I can't remember off the top of my head how long later, but they found her buried. I like it was around a week, wasn't yeah. it? There was a hunt. Mm. Everyone was searching and searching for her. And they found her in a shallow grave. Mm. And then CCTV, along with, I think, some phone data, linked it back to Adrian Bailey. Mm. Um, and then it, it was revealed sometime after, after there was all that publicity and his photo was on the news, other women came forward to say that they'd been attacked by him. And I sat through those trials. So that was actually going back to the counselling thing after his after sitting in trials with him for weeks on end and hearing. So the, the, those hearings were suppressed. Mm. They couldn't be out in the public because he already had – people knew who, who he was. Yeah. So he couldn't report on them until the end. Um, I had my first mental breakdown after that. Did you? What happened? Yeah, well, I just felt like I couldn't report it and reporting is venting for me. So I can report on a murder and I could write the story or do the live cross and then my day's done. And I felt like it was putting it out there and it was all done. But when I couldn't report it, I felt like I was just taking it home and sitting on all those awful details of what had happened to those women. And they were brutal, mm. brutally raped. Um, and after I reported it, the verdict came out and reported it did the live cross, went to the gym, was running on the treadmill, had a panic attack. So couldn't breathe? Or- couldn't breathe. I think the guy next to me thought I was have a, having a heart attack and thought I was dying um, and then realised I was having a panic attack and that was when I knew I had to do something about it. Mm. Hmm. I think, yeah, vicarious trauma or PTSD or something, but that was the first time. And I'd seen dead bodies and heard awful things all before that, but it all just came to a head. Did it have anything to do with the fact that the women that were attacked were sort of your contemporaries? Yeah. Especially I'm, Jill Maher. She worked in, in media as well herself. These were young women that for all intents and purposes, it could have been you. I think so. And I think I've said to people that I can never tell you what happened to those women who lived because it's so awful and has never left my mind. And Mm. I never thought that a human could do those things to another human until Mm. I heard them in court. And they're stuck in my mind and I would never want them to be stuck in someone else's mind Mm. because it's so awful. And what then did you do? You go and speak to a counsellor? Yeah, I went and spoke to a counsellor and just like blurted it all out, had a massive cry and was amazed at how good I felt. And that was when I realised I probably had to stay in routine. And I think for people who work as police officers or ambulance officers or with grief and crime, routine is massive. Mm. You have to, you know, make sure if, if working out is your weight event that you do that or mm. making, you know, when you come home from work, switching off from work yeah. and actually spending time with your family mm. or speaking to people who understand your predicament, yeah. which I think is massive for police officers as well. Mm. I think it's something people don't necessarily think about when we see you reporting on the news. You don't realise 
what you've gone through in order to bring those stories to us. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And it's a minute 30, you know, it's one minute 30 on the news and you see me for 10 seconds. And mm. But that's been the result of a 12-hour day or a 10-hour day or whatever you're doing mm. that's filled with so much emotion and stress and that all comes with it. Mm. You bring it in here, bring dump it, here it on this podcast. Share it all with you. Thank you for sharing that. Pleasure. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.